0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Home Birth Experience. We're back again with another birth story, and I'm so excited. This is another friend from my childbirth class, um, Maria Fall. How are you, Maria?
1: I'm doing well, Julia. Thank you. How are you today?
0: Great. Uh, Maria and I were just chatting before we hopped on here that we're both new moms, and we're both a little bit tired this morning. Extremely. We were both single parenting, if you will, last night, so... (laughs) we were all responsibilities 100% on us. Oh, poor us, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, So I wanted to, what I did was I offered everybody in my childbirth class to come on my podcast and tell their story. And Maria is the second one, as you all might've heard Joy's story last week. This week we're talking to Maria and she was so generous to come and share her story because you know, like I always tell my audience, This is such an intimate time in life and it's precious. And to share this with the general public is, is really special. So I just want to make sure I thank you for coming on and sharing your story.
1: Yeah. And thank you for having me as well. I haven't shared the story besides to close family and a snippet on social media. So I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Yay. Well, I'm really excited too, because you have a very unique story. And I think that there isn't enough talked about in in the unique things about your story that we'll get into. But so many people don't know that these certain things can change throughout like if you plan a home birth and it doesn't result in that and it's kind of like a hush hush thing or if you have trouble conceiving you know people don't really share their real raw stories and it can be really helpful to other people so i think that that's the one thing that i really appreciate about you sharing is that you may help other people and then listening to this which is a cool thought certainly So tell me if you don't mind starting out, like you met your partner and you decide you want to have a family and then what happens?
1: Certainly. So we met in 2013 and got married in 2017 and it was right after marriage that I got off birth control, not really planning on having a child quite yet, but I started to learn a little more about hormones. And I didn't want to be on medicine anymore in preparation for trying to conceive and starting a family. So a couple of years went by and we're like, we're ready for this. We went to Europe. So we were ready to have a child. And after many attempts in naturally conceiving for about a year and a half, with no positive pregnancy test, we were starting to wonder what's going on. We heard it was normal for it to take eight months to a year for people our age at the time, upper twenties, but it was starting to feel a little abnormal. I found, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disorder, hypothyroid. So it's an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. We thought perhaps that could have something to play in it. Even so, we decided to go to the fertility doctor and again, failed successes or failures, I should say, with medicated cycles, intrauterine inseminations. We went through four of those. And then we resulted to our last resort. We'll we'll hear about last resorts coming up for us uh, in the future as well. But we did in vitro fertilization. And that came about in the beginning of 22, and of 21, beginning of 22. So we started actually our trying to conceive journey mid 2019 so it was quite a long time compared to the average and it was quite a journey indeed
0: yes it i'm sure there were lots of emotions through all of that yeah absolutely Yeah, I just wanted to, for the audience's sake, so interuterine insemination and IVF for the the differentiation of them, interuterine insemination is when a semen sample has been taken and cleaned and optimized, if you will, and a catheter is used at the optimal time of fertilization for ovulation catheter is inserted through the cervix into the uterus. And so the sperm has the optimal chance of meeting the egg during that time of ovulation. So that is kind of first line after medications and hormonal treatments, things like that. And then the second final, what what did you just say the last resort? Yeah, Mm -hmm. last resort would be in vitro fertilization where they extract an egg from mom and use dad's semen and create an embryo outside of the womb. And then once that embryo has been created and they find it to be viable, then they go back and insert it into the mother's womb to then create life. Um, Just to clarify in case anybody had questions on that. So leading up to your IUI, Did you do any like Clomid, which is a drug to help you ovulate? Like, did you do any like first line things Mm -hmm. for IUI?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So before we decided to go into IUI, because it is still pretty expensive, about $500 to $600 a try for just the procedure itself, we did first try just letrozole which is similar to Clomid, just not as intense. And then after a couple months of that not working, we went to Clomid, which is a little bit more intense. And I had better results with Clomid in terms of um, follicle maturation. So we ended up using Clomid for our IUI cycles as well, because with IUI, you just need one, egg, um, but they try to grow more. We only ended up usually growing one mature egg during the IUI cycles with the Clomid. So it's a little little more intense, a lot more hot flashes, but we did try that uh, before going into the more invasive procedures. Okay.
0: So then when you stepped towards IVF, I know people might have, I even have questions myself because being a midwife, I deal with people that, you know, I've had clients that consider IVF, but I don't deal with that end of it because that's Mm -hmm. not what I'm trained in. So I'm interested to know, like, what did it look like injections daily hour? Like, what was the timing? How did it make you feel like how involved did your partner become? Mm -hmm. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to take that step was difficult because I am the kind of person that I don't even like to take Advil or Tylenol when I have a headache. So continuing to take medication, especially during in vitro was a big step because it is daily injections, multiple types of medicine. So in the beginning, we would have to grow as many follicles as we could to have our best chance in multiple eggs. We had about two to three shots every morning around 6.45 a.m. So that prepped us a little bit for the early weekings with the baby. Didn't help much now, but (laughs) (laughs) we um, had my husband actually do the shots. It was lower abdomen shots. I was a little nervous to the needles myself so he always did those for me thank goodness and then once the eggs would grow usually about after a week to 11 days with my body having a mind of its own we ended up going past the average time I was actually nervous they were going to cancel it uh, cancel the procedure because after 11 days, I wasn't really showing any follicles. And I pretty much pleaded to my doctor. I said, can we just up the dose? I don't know how this works, but can we try to up the dosage and try a little longer? And they said, yes. So we upped our dosages a little bit longer for a little bit longer. And we ended up having four follicles that were mature enough for them to extract. So I had to be put under, go to the doctor's office early in the morning. My husband would have to provide the semen sample and then, or wait, nope, that's later on. That's my new mom brain. (laughs) I was put under for the surgery of extracting the follicles and what they actually do. It's, it's a little cringy, but they, they go up the vaginal canal and into the ovary, put in a needle and basically suck out the fluids that the follicles are in, bringing the follicles out. So I had some recovery with that. I definitely took the next couple days off work and just laid on the couch. Moving was very hard. Uh, Trying to go to the bathroom, even just peeing after that was difficult. There was a lot of swelling from the medication. And then once it was all extracted, it was a, a big change. But four actually isn't that much. Uh, many women will get over 10 follicles. So we were feeling a little discouraged, a little happy because going into that, we thought maybe we only had a couple. And we had to wait around then to see if they would continue to mature into what's called blastocyst, when the egg and the sperm fertilize and then start growing into a multicellular organism. We had three continue to mature and fertilize. So those three went off to be genetic tested. That was another waiting game, trying to see if all the chromosomes were there and normal. We got word. Oh yeah.
0: If you don't mind me interrupting you the, cause you said another waiting game. And as you're telling me that I'm thinking to myself, wow, like that feels so emotional and so heavy to me. So what was the waiting period after the extraction between the extraction and the fertilization?
1: Yeah. So it takes about five to six days so almost a week to see if the egg will be fertilized and grow which is pretty much the same in the natural body you won't see implantation happen until about 5 days to a week or so so that's around yeah. the same time frame there and then the genetic testing takes a, about a couple weeks and wow. waiting for those results.
0: So, so you have to wait a couple of yeah. weeks before you even know if it can be implanted.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we waited around, just tried to live life. There's nothing you can do in that time frame. We ended up with just one embryo out of the three that was genetically sound, I guess you could call it one of our embryos did have down syndrome and then the third was missing a portion of chromosome 12 it gets very technical and and specific which is really neat those embryos anytime there is some sort of genetic abnormality there's a higher risk in miscarriage so even though we may be okay with a child having down syndrome, it still is risky to go through the transfer because of the risk of miscarriage. And I did learn that is most of the time why there are miscarriages because of those genetic abnormalities that women wouldn't normally know about. So, um, Though I never did experience that side of it, of infertility, I do want women to know that if there is a miscarriage, it's absolutely nothing you did. It's not that glass of wine you had or whatever it may be. Often it's just things out of your control. We don't have anybody that we know of with Down syndrome in our family. So it's very random.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's incredible that you got to know those specific things about each embryo. And Mm then how did that weigh on you emotionally that you had three and only one was being transferred?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was hard. We definitely had to focus on our faith at that point. You know, ask God, why would he get us this far and have this one for it to not work. So mm-hmm. our, our prayers were definitely the strongest they had ever been during that time. And I might try to try not to cry now, but yeah, so sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, that one we have now is our our baby Jack, almost yeah. five months old and about five days here. So it's it truly is amazing that he he was the strong one that made it. And here
0: we are now with him. I know you're making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What an incredible journey to get even to be pregnant.
1: Yeah. Oh, that, that part, it was amazing. So our little Jack was frozen as an embryo, a blastocyst uh, for about, see we transferred him it was actually february 22nd of 22 so it was a a beautiful angel numbers day there yeah so he was frozen for about 2 to 3 months until we were able to transfer him the preparation for that is a daily injection in the upper butt region of progesterone to prepare the uterus Normally the body's naturally producing progesterone when an embryo is implanted. But since I didn't have any embryo in me yet, we had to do that with medication and also an oral tablet of estrogen. I was doing both of those daily for about three to four weeks in total to prepare the body. So that is also another long time. That the body needs to prepare with the medication. But once we were able to transfer him, we had about nine days of waiting after that to see if he stuck and implanted. And that was hard because all our previous attempts with other procedures and naturally trying, you would start to feel symptoms that could be relating to pregnancy, but turns out it was just for a period. So I had to really try to push out the symptoms I was feeling and keep up my, my prayers and try not to get my hopes too high, but uh, still keep a little bit of hope there since it was our only shot.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I had a question and now it kind of escaped me going back to the implantation Okay. And you were talking about ingest or um, ingesting estrogen and injecting progesterone. Mm -hmm. Were they then drawing your blood to monitor like blood levels of those to know when they should transfer?
1: That's actually a really good question. We did do frequent blood draws. I got very used to it. I could start watching the blood come out of my arm (laughs) before I would have to look away We would monitor that way and we actually, and this is why we were a little delayed in our transfer. We did a mock transfer in December of 21 where I took all those medications in prepping my body, but we wouldn't transfer. We actually did a uterine biopsy instead. And in that biopsy, the doctors were able to see if essentially my uterus was ready and responded well to that procedure or cycle of medications. So that was another procedure about, it was about a thousand extra dollars, but in my eyes, well worth it, especially with having one embryo, we did want to make sure the levels of medication I was getting for the time period I was taking it were spot on.
0: Oh my gosh, if you've gone this far, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, like, hello, a drop in the bucket.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will say that was probably the most painful experience I had had. It was very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, they're taking a piece of your body. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So not fun, but worth it for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then do they do, they're drawing blood, what point do they do ultrasounds to view what's going on?
1: Very frequently. I also got used to the little, um, intrauterine ultrasound as well. So that was pretty much every appointment they're monitoring the uterus and, um, well, especially prior when follicles were growing, constantly monitoring how many follicles there were, and that was always very cool to see early on. I had never had a baby in the womb. So these follicles were essentially my babies at the time. And yeah. it was really cool to watch those grow as I would go to each appointment. And then we would also have the ultrasounds then after when the uterus was prepping to see if the lining was thickening.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So the day for transfer comes based on your blood levels and ultrasound that, okay, your body is at its optimal point to transfer little Jack. And how does that day feel for you?
1: Oh, it was an amazing day. It was actually about a week after the original scheduling. I was supposed to transfer on February 15th a day actually, right before my birthday, my birthday is the 16th. And I was about to turn. What was I about to turn? I was about to turn 29. Okay. (laughs) And so in my head, after this whole journey, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's be pregnant before I turn 29. And that ended up not happening because my body wasn't ready yet Uh with the monitoring. They knew that. So it did have to be pushed back about a week and, that led us to February 22nd. Okay. Um, I think I was checked probably the 20th or 21st or something like that to know that the 22nd was the day. So that was ended up being very exciting because it was 22 of 22.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And I just, I'm thinking about the practitioners on the end of doing this, you know, the doctors and nurses and scientists that, how like so many people got to be a part of your conception. That's just like, it's amazing to think about. Oh, it's, it is amazing. My nurses were great. My
1: doctor was always on it. The, the day of, I didn't like them so much because I had my bladder have to be so full for them to easily see it on the ultrasound. So that was Not fine with a ultrasound on my uterus. My bladder is full, pushing down. I thought I was going to pee on the doctor, to be
0: honest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know that feeling. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you have the transfer. And then did you just feel like this delicate little porcelain doll afterwards, like not wanting to do anything or like you were saying, women don't feel bad if it was, you know, like it wasn't that glass of wine, if you miscarriage, like had a miscarriage. And I, I agree with you. Like we feel so responsible and carry so much on our shoulders when, it's not necessary. I mean, it's just what we do, you know, cause we're women, but how did it feel that waiting time? Yeah,
1: definitely. I felt much more fragile. Like I had to be careful, especially with my stress level. I just focused on trying to relax. And again, I'm, I'm coming from a person in the infertility community. So I know relaxing and, and taking those vacations honestly have nothing to do with how you're going to conceive, but for, for my own peace of mind, I wanted to ensure that my body was relaxed and in the best health that it could be in those next uh, couple weeks. I did ask my work. I was on a hybrid schedule, some days in the office, some days at home. I did ask them to be at home during that, that two week wait, because one less stress. And two, if I did end up getting the bad news, I would be in the comfort of my home and not risk being in the office around coworkers instead of my husband. And, and it worked out that we got good news. It was on actually March 3rd. So again, the repetitive number, which was amazing. Uh, I was home. I got the doctor call, stepped away from work and my husband and I took that call together and we heard that my blood work came back positive. And that was honestly the best moment. Me and my husband just sat there and we cried (laughs) happiness. uh, And I started to just think about all the exciting things and the preparation that I had had to hold myself back from thinking about in the past. So it was a beautiful day.
0: Absolutely. That is a beautiful day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, from there, what did your medical care look like? Because I know you were planning to have a home birth. Yeah. And you and I met at, well, how far along were you in your pregnancy when you started class?
1: So, in the birth class, I was actually the least furthest along in our class. That's what I thought. So, yeah. I cannot even remember. I can't
0: remember either.
1: We finished in September, I believe, and I was due in November.
0: That's right. You were due in November. I do remember thinking, I remember you specifically because you were the latest. Okay. So, but back up. um, So you're pregnant now. How many visits did you have? Like, did you continue care with the doctors and how did you decide from going from IVF, which I always find interesting when I have an IVF client do a home delivery, you know, like you're not any different than, than any of us. You have your desires just because you had to conceive differently. Does not mean that you didn't like, I don't know. Some people say, well, I can't believe that somebody that trusts the medical system (laughs) Would want to have a home birth and I try to explain to them like it's not trusting the medical system it's that that was their route to conceive that was their journey and their path it didn't have anything to do with like medical system trust or not but you personally how did you decide I want to have a home birth and so where did care transfer over did you continue like co-care
1: yeah so i decided i wanted a home birth before i Started going to the fertility doctor. So, once all was said and done with the fertility doctor and IVF, honestly, I was tired of the medical system. I I couldn't wait to be out, but they were the ones that helped me get where I was. I couldn't have gotten pregnant without the science and the doctors. So they were going to quote unquote graduate me around nine weeks along. And that's, I guess, typical medical medical system kind of gets you out of there, but I didn't feel comfortable doing that yet. So I did request to stay with them through 12 weeks. So they continued to monitor me for a couple extra weeks, which helped me feel better because We could see the baby on the ultrasound and I didn't plan on doing any ultrasounds throughout my pregnancy. So that was a big thing for me because they didn't want to let me listen to the heartbeat. And because normally you would listen to a heartbeat down the road throughout uh, an OB journey And I told them, I I honestly don't plan on listening to the heartbeat that often, please let me. So they, they did, which was, I was very grateful for, but I finished up with them around 12 weeks. And then I had my midwife chosen already way before the infertility journey, because my friend and cousin had used her. So I started to see my midwife around 13 to 14 weeks along. I did not do co-care I knew from the get-go that the views that I have for my pregnancy they didn't align with the basic medical model and I went into it just trusting my body I knew if uh, something fell off I would know and that is a little contradictory because through the infertility, you start to not trust your body because you're wondering why it's not doing what it was made to do. But something just felt different. Once I was pregnant, I truly felt like my body was finally doing what it was made to do. I was finally working to fulfill the purpose that I had to be Jack's mom. And I just had the utmost trust for my body and my intuition and and God. I did not believe He would not that God makes bad things happen, but I truly felt that we were where we were supposed to be. And I trusted my midwife as well to if there was something wrong to be able to identify along with my intuition. So I did go in for an anatomy scan at 20 weeks. I had a functional medicine doctor who was also an OB. So I felt very comfortable with her. And we honestly just wanted to see the baby because we didn't plan to otherwise. And at that ultrasound, they had found the kidney was a little bit more full than they would have liked to see at that point. So we did make the choice to go back during my third trimester to have that kidney checked. All was good. But I did have to remind that tech multiple times. I'm here just to check the kidney. Let's not do measurements. And she started measuring the head and I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Measure the head. She was a little stirred by that because she's like, this is what this appointment's for. And I, just had to put your foot down. Yeah, essentially. And it it was awesome to see Jack and I ended up not even getting a picture of an ultrasound. I think she was so stirred up, didn't (laughs) print anything, but (laughs) I I was okay. It was quick and we were able to move on from there then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Isn't it amazing to see your little baby on the ultrasound?
1: It was the coolest thing. I would feel him kick while watching him kick.
0: Uh It was awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. So did you know gender?
1: We did. So in doing the genetic testing early on, they they're testing the chromosomes so they can see if there's two X's or an X and a Y. And we did not find out early on still to this day. I don't even know what the genders of the other embryos are. I'm very curious, but it's kind of an attachment that I don't want to feel, uh, yeah morally i suppose mm-hmm. and we decided to have my brother and sister-in-law be the ones to first know the gender and uh host a gender reveal for us
0: okay. so
1: yeah around 9 weeks pregnant on april 9th it was of 22 they held a gender reveal and we saw that we were having a boy and that was very exciting
0: oh How exciting. Yeah, I love it. So you plan a home birth, you're having uh, prenatal care with your midwife. And for those that don't know what co-care means, we talk about that in the home birth world a lot when somebody has care with their home birth midwife, but they're also seeing a provider that is within the hospital system. So they're having co-care with two providers at the same time. I'm sorry, practitioner. I always get corrected. Provider is an insurance term. (laughs) Practitioner is you're practicing. Um, So you do the 20-week anatomy scan, which I actually have a lot of people do that as well. They'll just go in for that 20-week anatomy scan and then discontinue care after that and just continue with the midwife. Mm -hmm. So you're prepping for your home birth. You, so you found your midwife because you knew somebody else that had used her. Um, and so did you not interview anybody else?
1: I did not know because I, I knew this midwife, I would go to her home birth meetings. So I felt very, very comfortable with her and there was just no need to search around. I felt
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that feeling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's hop into like your labor story. Yeah. So
1: Jack ended up coming. I was at 41 and a half weeks, 41 weeks and four days when he was finally born, but the labor was quite long. He was born on a Sunday and the Sunday before That night, I had woken up around midnight, 2 a.m. or something like that with what felt like contractions. And I never had contractions before. So I wasn't entirely sure what it felt like. I hadn't had some Braxton Hicks randomly before, but this one was definitely more intense, but it wasn't debilitating. So I just tried to sleep through it as best as I could. Didn't get much sleep. I started work the next day and I was again at home as I was about a month from my due date. I had been asked to be at home because big pregnant me traveling at least 45 minutes and back to work was too difficult. And I was honestly a little scared to drive. I'm, I'm not a big driver, so I wanted to limit that risk as well. Mm -hmm. so I was at home that Monday working and I was having a little contractions I take incoming phone calls so I'm there just like breathing through these (laughs) uh, these little contractions that are coming on and it was pretty humorous but I I didn't want to waste any bit of my maternity leave so I'm like let's push through as long as we can until and I knew I would have to rest. So it was pretty much when I knew things were progressing that I would have to rest. So Monday night comes around and it starts to pick up. I'm getting these contractions every five minutes at one point. And again, I'm not, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know the difference between a real contraction and um and not but they were coming so frequently and I would have to stop in my tracks for these to go through. And then I started to get really hot and I started to throw up after I took a shower. And that was very odd for me. I, I didn't understand what was going on because I knew active labor wouldn't come that quickly. Right. Uh, I did call my uh, midwife It was her daughter who also helped with her and I trusted as well. She came over and stayed the night, which helped me feel a little bit more at ease. Because again, I was very caught off guard with this coming so quickly. I wasn't able to sleep again that night. These contractions kept coming about every half hour. So they did slow up. So I knew it wasn't true labor yet. But I knew I would have to not work because if this picked up again, there's no way I could continue to work. So I called my maternity leave starting on Tuesday and Tuesday, to be honest, I didn't have anything all day oh my nothing
0: it always works that way right <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: so i pretty much just spent that tuesday resting and laying around and tuesday night rolled around of course the night time mm-hmm. and i start getting sharp pains and i have no idea to this day i don't know what those sharp pains were but they were a feeling, a sensation that I again, again, had to breathe through and try to move my body in a a different position. Being on uh, my knees and arms was the best with my belly hanging down.
0: Where were you feeling these sharp pains?
1: They were, they were low around where the, where I was feeling those contractions. My cousin thought maybe it was kidney stone, but I wasn't feeling them in my back and right. when I was reading, I would feel that in my back. So it was all uterine and it was weird. And that was the worst night. I could not sleep through these sharp pains. I was up every five minutes at that point. And then once morning came, they were done. <laughs> so Wednesday, uh, again.
0: Is, it's like, come on, man. I just want to sleep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Seriously. <laughs> So Wednesday rolls around again, nothing we spent Wednesday. I was officially 41 weeks that day and we spent Wednesday walking around, going and doing some errands. We went to the grocery store so I could get snacks and food that I wanted during labor. And I just wanted to have movement to maybe try to work this baby down a little bit. And then Wednesday night came along and I had the sharp pains again. So again, not sure what it was, but another sleepless night. So going into Thursday, we had dinner with some friends at a friend's house and in the evening, I started to get the contraction feeling again and I thought it was just my mind playing little tricks on me. So I'm just breathing through or playing a game and I stayed up later probably than I should have Mm -hmm. because I don't know. We went to bed at about midnight and then 2am rolls around and I get not the sharp pain, but the actual contractions. And and this is the moment where I truly believe it was real because from then they didn't let up very much at all. So I took a bath. Someone told me a, a warm bath would help. And that helped ease a little bit, but it was just another sleepless night. Friday was spent, oh, I forget what it's called. It was a a circuit. Mile circuit. Mile circuit, yep. I spent Friday doing that. So a lot of movement, a lot of different positions to try to work this baby down. And the contractions would continue. So I was very uncomfortable, but it was still early. I was talking through things, having fun here and there. Yeah. So... Then I want to say, let's see. I don't know even who was with us through Friday night. It's such a blur, but Saturday was Saturday was the big day all day, Saturday, consistent contractions. My water broke that night and I thought it, it was time to push. My body was feeling different. The searches were stronger and i was the kind of person that i wanted to limit cervical checks Mm -hmm. so i i didn't request one i didn't want to be discouraged i wanted to trust my body like i've been doing this whole pregnancy and i pushed for two hours strong pushes different positions and after two hours I'm like, okay, let's let's do a cervical check. Let's see where we're at. And there was absolutely, well, I wasn't ready. I wasn't dilated fully. I was maybe seven centimeters or Oops. eight. And I wasn't frustrated from knowing that, but I guess I was frustrated at the time because I wondered why did I feel this sensation of having to push? Right. So me and my husband, we sat on the couch. My birth team was all there at this point. I I had a select people. I had two gals, friends of mine who are also part of the home birth community. I had my best friend there since kindergarten. She is not at the point where she wants kids yet, but she is the most calming personality. So her being willing to be there for me was so helpful. She is my go-to gal. And then one of my other cousins was there. Cause again, she's just a very positive, helpful vibe. So I was very selective on who was going to be at my birth. And each of those people played a big part in my labor journey. I didn't find them to be a distraction any bit Um, because I know a lot of people will say having people there are distracting, but I am the kind of person that hates being alone. So the the people there, it, it empowered me truly. Yeah. So Mike and I were sitting on the couch, everyone else was sleeping. It was getting pretty late and I was just trying to breathe through the contractions. I was telling myself in my mind, if you can't breathe through these anymore, then it's time. Okay, I couldn't breathe through that one. Let's wait a couple more. Yeah. A few more went by, and I was not able to just breathe through these and let these go. I, my body physically felt like I had to push. Told my midwife we got all set up. I was on a birthing stool. Uh, and I pushed for four more hours. And wow. may, maybe five, four to five. It was a long time. And we were about midnight to 5 a.m. or so. And baby wasn't there yet. So I finally said, okay, let's do another cervical check. Baby barely moved.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And having pushed for six to seven hours total, my and not sleeping the whole week. Yeah. I... I physically could not go on. I could not do it anymore and I so badly wanted to birth my baby at home. But with the state of my body and I know when people are in transition they say they can't do this, they want to go to the hospital, but I truly knew my body wouldn't be able to go anymore. I exerted so much energy. I was running on zero sleep. So I did make the decision at about 6am, 5, 6am on Sunday morning to go to the hospital. To be honest, I didn't even at that time know what the hospital would provide for me, but I knew there I would have the resources. And I've always been aware of the resources there. And I knew I would only use them if absolutely necessary. So I did have backup hospitals. I have a hospital about five to 10 minutes from my house. So that would be my, it was a a university hospital. So I knew that would be my emergency situation. If I'm hemorrhaging, I need to get somewhere quickly. We need the squad here. I knew I would go there. Or in terms of maternal exhaustion, I knew I would make the trek about an hour away. I went to Worcester Community Hospital, where my functional medicine doctor was at the time. I did start seeing a different doctor as she had left that practice, but it was an hour drive. So I knew we would only go there if it was Mm non-emergent. So my birth team packed up all my things because I didn't have a hospital bag packed. I wasn't going to want that because if I gave birth at home there was no way I was unpacking my bag (laughs) right so my birth team started packing my bag and I got to the point I started throwing up it was the weirdest sensation uh my my body kind of stopped my contractions for a moment because I think again it I was just so pushed to my limit yeah and uh, my cousin actually, um, the cousin who, who wasn't part of the home birth community, but she does have a kid of her own. She sat in the back seat of our truck with me while my husband drove. And if anybody's driven out to Worcester, it's, it's country over there. So you don't have the smoothest roads all the time.
0: No. So we're
1: going through some bumps and, uh, My throwing up did stop, which I was thankful for. We did have a bucket just in case, but we finally got to the hospital about 7 a.m. We did call them in advance because again, it's a, it's a small community hospital. So it's not like a Cleveland clinic where people are just constantly in and out giving birth, right? Call them in advance. And my, my cousin grabbed a wheelchair as my husband helped me out of the truck Again, we're in a truck, so I have a big, big drop down a little bit. And the contractions were starting to pick up again. They stalled out for a little bit, I think, to help me maybe. I was in survival mode.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So I got in the room pretty quickly, and I'm just breathing through the contractions. And when I got in there, I was 9.5 centimeters dilated. So right there. So again, a bit of frustration because of the time that had gone by, but they put me on fluids and that perked me up very good. And going into the hospital, I was, I was ready to be offered or have things pushed on me that I knew I didn't want. And even though I was very delirious and out of it, I was still able to decline things such as I, I didn't have the GBS swab during pregnancy. So they wanted to either do that or give me antibiotics, treating me as positive, but I said, no. Um, and I also had to make decisions on what would happen to my baby after the birth, like the, the hep B shot and, I goop. I forget what that's called, all that kind of stuff. So I was having to be making these decisions when I'm out of it. I, I didn't have any drugs still at this point, except for the IV fluids, but I was definitely still out of it and exhausted and worn down. So I'm very, very glad that I had educated myself during my pregnancy so that the the decisions I had to make were just second nature and I didn't have to think about them.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I was able to push longer. I was on fluids. I started to get nauseous again. I, I had a lot of throwing up. I did request anti-nausea medicine. Uh, they didn't have anything, I guess, that they could put in my IV. So I took a shot of something and it helped greatly because I also had the worst heartburn during my pregnancy. I had to sleep sitting up for about five months.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness.
1: (laughs) So being in the hospital and they were kind of dictating my positions at that point, which was fine by me because nothing felt good. Mm
0: -hmm. So I'm
1: just like, tell me what to do, where to be. And and one thing I was, I was, I was laying back, which isn't optimal, but the heartburn was really bad then Mm -hmm. and the nausea. So I took that medication and I had strong pushing. I did want a mirror. I'm like, I want to see this baby. And we could see his head. He had a full head of hair and we could see that poking out. So he was right there. Um oh, I guess I should rewind. I was only 9.5 centimeters, but I did breathe through a bit and we finally got to 10. We did verify. I'm like, I'm not pushing until I know for sure this time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was right there, but he was not getting past my pubic bone. Okay. The, again, not the ideal, but the doctor was trying to, um, I don't know, Sure nurse was up in there trying to move some things to help him get past the pubic bone but he just was not coming through and again we could see his head plain as day but four hours went by and the IV fluids gave me what they could and I again was just so exhausted I was to the point where like I felt I could pass out and
0: I bet you were I mean this is so long (laughs) for you. <laughs> yeah, so they
1: offered nitrous oxide at that point or they wanted to do the vacuum.
0: Okay.
1: And I've never heard of the vacuum being successful for anybody Uh, I've only just heard horror stories with pelvic floors. So I'm like, Nope, it's still, I would have to still push it's stress on my baby. I didn't want it. They really tried to push that because I was like, just give me the C-section at that point. I think they wanted to avoid it. But in that moment, I truly felt that that was going to be the safest option with the stress on me and my baby, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: Again, it was a small community hospital. So they told me somebody else was in the OR and they couldn't take multiple. So I had to wait. I don't know if that was just a trick, not really sure, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, okay, put my order in. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, the, in the meantime, they brought that nitrous oxide and I honestly didn't know how to use it. They said I would still feel the pain, but I wouldn't care. Yeah. And at that point, the pain, the pain wasn't even the bad part for me. It was just, I couldn't give any more. So I didn't really even bother. And by that time it even came in, they were ready to bring me back. And I also had some requests with the C-section. I did not want my arms strapped down. I know some people do have to have their arms strapped down. They said, as long as I keep my arms out, in a T form, then I wouldn't need the straps. And I did not want my baby to be away from me or my husband at any point. I had to make some compromises. Apparently they did have to clamp the cord right away, which I was disappointed of. But later on, uh, I had my placenta encapsulated and the lady who did it said there wasn't much blood in the cord anyway. So he probably drained it, which was good. The baby drained it. (laughs) Uh, So I ensured my husband was able to go back to while they did the assessments. I didn't want assessments done right away, but I think they were nervous for me not being GBS tested. They were nervous because I did not have any STD testing prior and they were nervous because there was meconium. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, okay, fine. You know, if you have to do this, do it, assess the baby right away. But my husband, can he go nurse said yes. And so when it baby was pulled out, he was crying. My husband immediately followed the baby with the nurse and he kind of got yelled at actually (laughs) Uh, the, the person who was behind me working the drain fluid IV thing yelled at him because he was having to pass by my abdomen and they don't like the dad's seeing the the mother wide open right (laughs) but he didn't care he was like oh they told me I could and he just kept going I'm like yeah good job yeah (laughs) so Mike my husband stayed with Jack the whole time and Jack was crying the whole time and I could hear him. And it, at that moment, it was music to my ears.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it was the longest five minutes of my life. But when they brought Jack out and put him on my chest, he was immediately silent. Oh. And in that moment, it, it didn't matter anymore that I had my last resort in the way he was coming to this earth. I could truly feel. Even though I never saw him ever, but through an ultrasound, I felt like I knew him, and he clearly felt he knew me right when he was back on me, and
0: Uh it was
1: it was the most amazing moment I've ever experienced.
0: Wow, wow, I could cry. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Oh my gosh, all of that. I the one question: Why did they do the T incision?
1: That is a good question. He was so far down because of all the pushing. He was so close and they had to do a T-cut going up toward my belly button on my uterus to get him to push back a little bit more so that they could pull him out. Wow. Yeah. And that it it does feel funny to have such a fragile scar on my uterus that I can't see. And it's a little scary if it comes down to a second kid, which I'm not planning on anyway. I'm not doing IVF again, but Uh
0: uh,
1: it just is interesting because he was so far down and so close. I, I wonder I wonder if I had sleep that week or I didn't push when I wasn't dilated, how different things could have been. But I try again, I try not to dwell on it because I was confident in every decision I made throughout the whole process and every decision was mine. And that, that leaves me with a lot of peace.
0: Yeah. That's important that the decisions are yours. And I, I do the same thing with, with the birth of Charles. I go back and I try not to dwell on it. And I think, what if this or what if that and could i have done this or done that and at the end of the day our sons are here and they're healthy and i mean it's just amazing exactly yeah he's he's growing so fast and
1: it it doesn't matter how he got here he's here
0: yes amen <laughs> <laughs> yeah You sure did have a lot of courage going that long. I mean, to have labor for a week without Mm -hmm. sleepless nights, I, I've not had somebody as strong as you in all my (laughs) practice. I will say that. (laughs) I appreciate that because
1: I felt strong truly until like, until the time came and I felt weak and I was okay with it. I truly was because I I knew I gave my all and I wouldn't ha- I wouldn't have done anything differently. I would maybe not have pushed earlier on. Yeah. But there truly in the moment was nothing I could have done differently. I was happy to be home mm-hmm. during my labor. I I stayed hydrated and I stayed. Uh, it kept my caloric intake up. I was eating after every push every contraction I would have a bite of, uh, I was eating waffles Yeah, was, was my big thing. Uh, they were protein waffles. Yeah. So it, it, it was a journey and I, I know my husband definitely sees me in a different light now because he, he saw how hard I was working and I know he was amazed and he was part of it too. We did this one, uh, uh, pushing position where he was behind me holding me up under my armpits and I would squat down and and try to push that way and we have some funny pictures of his face in those (laughs) positions (laughs) because he is dying from the weight but it's it's so funny because it's just the classic joke of men through labor
0: Uh uh-huh (laughs) I know I have, I have so many vivid memories of looking at the husband (laughs) and them just about to die from holding them from holding the wife up. I mean, it's like the the last birth I was at, it happened again because the upright position feels so good for so many Mm -hmm. women. and It just helps you progress. And the guys are standing there like sweating bullets (laughs) and cringing in their face. (laughs)
1: Yep. Yeah. That's a good memory.
0: Yeah. Wow. I am, I am in awe of your story. Everything from conception to birth is just so unique and it's really a beautiful story.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, the,
0: the, the one thing out of all of it that really felt impactful to me is how much you did trust your body after going through IVF.
1: Yeah. And I have friends that have gone through infertility, some with successful IVF cycles, currently pregnant, some still working toward that miracle. And I wish I even had a piece of advice to give them because I don't know how I was able to trust my body and trust God through it all. I really don't know how. But I, I did a lot of meditation pre all of this. Mm -hmm. So I think that just personal growth prior to getting to that point played a big part in my mindset through the the whole journey and the process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. The trust that you had. Yeah. Wow. Well, is there anything else you want to chat about? I feel like Wow. I just am in awe. I'm like, I can go back and listen to it all over again <laughs> <until> it's live. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I'm excited as well. I, I just really appreciate you bringing me here because it's it's just funny for a person like me. I mean, still to this day, my, my child isn't even vaccinated right now. We're, we're delaying it all. And I'm just a person not willing to be part of the medical system, but with having to go through IVF and then a cesarean, I I do want people to know it. It's not evil going through the medical system. I mean, we have this medicine and we have the science and it can be of great use as long as I feel we're educated on it and are able to make the decisions for our bodies I'm finding now as a woman back in the working world, a mother in the working world, it's difficult. I feel like society is not for us. So we we got to stay strong and just kind of keep pushing through and be true to ourselves.
0: I agree with that. It it does change your viewpoint after having a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, wow, we really have to to push for our not, I, I don't want to say rights, but it's kind of the only word I can think of. I mean, there's just so much judgment upon us. Yeah. I think is what it comes down to. There's just right. so much judgment upon every decision we make as women and we do We have to stay strong.
1: Yeah. And I think that's exactly
0: where I'm getting
1: at with, with the judgment. You just have to, you have to make the decision of what's best for you and your family in that moment, in all moments. Mm-hmm. And Push past all the kinds of obstacles that you run into.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. I'm so glad that we got to sit down and chat because even though we went through childbirth class together, we were there paying attention to the class. We didn't really get to chat and get to know each other. (laughs) And
1: certainly learning a lot and eating lots of snacks is what I was doing there.
0: Yeah, me too. (laughs) It was a good time. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was very helpful. And and yeah, I appreciate you having me here and really doing this podcast. I I learned about it just recently with you inviting us. So I'm excited to listen through them all and, and learn from other people's stories because I think that's the best way that we can learn and feel
0: empowered by our own journeys. A hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. Well, if that's all I am going to sign off now, thank you everyone for listening and please rate and review us and let us know what you want to hear next until next time.